Is it possible to crowdfund an assassination on the internet? And are the Transformer movies really the story about a group of intergalactic terrorists today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I was talking into the back of the microphone. I know I talked about the fact that I had some audio issues, and it turns out that a microphone has a front and a back. I'm sure the people out there who use microphones a lot are shaking their fists at me, but the side with the logo is the side you're supposed to talk to. I So the story behind this mic, so I've said a couple times that I used to be a musician. I used to be. I, yeah, I used to be is the right term. I used to be a musician. I used to be a rapper, actually. So my car got stolen. And I used the insurance money not to buy another car, but to build a home studio. And the crowning jewel of that home studio was a TLM-103 Neumann microphone. It's $1,100 microphone. It's actually probably the most valuable thing I own money-wise. And that that is what allows me to do this podcast. If, you know, and I've thought about it. If something happens to this microphone, I used the backup mic to do the Golf Rumors episode. I used the backup mic. And the quality was pretty good. I, I wasn't... It's different, but I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to give up if I ever lose this microphone. But I really do like a condenser mic. So that was the problem. That's what happens when you buy equipment and you don't fully know how to use it, is you end up talking into a microphone backwards. So I wanted to take this moment to go over something real quickly with you guys. We're actually going to start a sister project to Dead Rabbit Radio. We're still going to do the podcast. It's still going to be the daily podcast. Nothing's going to change. The podcast comes first. I have a lot of fun doing this. I'm getting so much great feedback from you guys. That's awesome. What we're going to do, though, is we're going on the end of the podcast episodes, and they will be their own separate YouTube videos. We're going to have three to five minute short horror stories. And the reason why we're doing this is because I've always toyed around with the idea. The original concept of Dead Rabbit Radio was actually short stories. We weren't going to do what we're doing now. If you listen to the first five episodes, I ref- the, the podcast is called 14th Family. And the concept was this. There was going to be no podcast. What you would hear was only the last five minutes of the podcast. And then I would get to listener mail. And I was getting these short horror sto- these letters written to me. And they were short. They were stories saying, you know, please help me. This horrible thing's happening to me. And they're all going to be paranormal or conspiracy based. And it was going to be about unraveling the mystery that was going on with the 14th family. Now, after about five episodes, I was really having so much fun doing the podcast as is that I ditched that idea. That idea also would have taken a lot of work and it would have been a weekly episode. And knowing me, I would have got five, six episodes in and then the workload would have been too much. And I was having so much fun doing the podcast that you hear now that I put that to the side. So again, the podcast will not go away. But I want to bring that idea back with the short horror stories. But with a little bit of a twist, we're going to have it aimed at a preteen teenage audience. Now, I know you guys are groaning, but I think that this works because it helps us build up our listenership. I'm looking at this long term now. When I started this podcast out, I was telling people, we'll do 50 episodes, we'll do 100 episodes, we'll reevaluate. We're at 61 episodes now, and it's going great. So now I'm thinking long term. Now I'm thinking two years, five years, how we're going to do this. My goal is we're going to put these little, the little clips at the end of the podcast are for you, the average podcast listener. My nephew listened to the show. He's nine or eight or something like that. He said it was boring. 
fair enough. It's not for kids. But we're going to take these short little horror stories, we're going to put them on YouTube, and we get these people to start listening to Dead Rabbit, the short horror stories, when they're young. And as they get older, now they're 16, 17, 18, 19, they switch over to Dead Rabbit Radio. So now we're looking at long-term growth. It's going to give us more hits on YouTube, definitely, because they're going to be right. We're going to release them in October, when everyone's Googling spooky stories. And we're going to have it on a separate playlist, but it's going to be on the same channel. It's going to increase our views. It'll allow us to monetize YouTube earlier. It'll allow us to monetize in full quicker. When we can get people to start searching for creepy, spooky horror stories, I don't want to dumb down the podcast to bring in a new audience. I want to give them a separate product. So I'm just letting you guys know. I hope you guys um, enjoy it. If you guys don't like it, that's fair, too. That's totally fair, too. I, I would hope that you enjoy it. I enjoy making them, but it's just it's not going to take away from the podcast. But you may see some other things. I'll, I'll announce it, and again, the podcast will end, and then the story will begin. And then on the YouTube video, it will be a separate YouTube video as well. It'll be branded differently. So it's going to be the same concept. It's going to be people writing in, asking for help, and they're telling these scary stories. And it gives it that sense of believability for somebody who's younger. When I was talking to my nephew, I told him the idea. I said, you know, I'm thinking about doing short horror videos for kids. And when I say kids, again, I'm talking like preteen, teen. And he goes, but they have to be true. And I go, well, can I make them up but say that they're true? And it's funny because as a little kid, they don't want to hear a fake horror story. They want to hear a horror story that is real. They want to hear a horror story that's believable. When you tell a kid a horror story, their first question out of their mouth is, is that true? Because that's what makes it spooky. So we're going to start doing that. It's not going to take away from the podcast. I hope you guys are all on board. And if you know, and they're going to not have any violent, like super violence or sexual themes, no cussing or anything like that. They're going to be scary. It's not going to be like, oh, his guts hang out, and then like a sexy woman shows up, and F this and F that, but we're not going to have any of that in there. Like, it's going to be for the audience, but it's going to be scary. And we are going to go ahead, and you'll I'll announce that before October comes around, and again, I'll do another announcement, and we'll release those. So, the first story I wanted to talk about was an interesting one. It is internet assassinations. Now, these things have actually been around for a long time. They've been predicted for a very long time, back in the 90s. There were futurists and science fiction authors and cyberpunks and stuff like that saying that um, there was going to be a future of Internet assassinations. And what it is, is that well, the way that it formed was with the evolution of the convergence of the Bitcoin and Tor. So the big one right now is assassination market where you donate as many Bitcoins or half a Bitcoin or whatever to a pot. And this one specifically targets politicians. Now. I put in half a Bitcoin, you put in a Bitcoin, you put in a Bitcoin. Once it gets up to an amount that a hitman wants to take that job, he writes down the day and the date and the target, and he puts a Bitcoin in as well. And it's an encrypted file. And then if the target dies on that day, the person who sent that file to the assassination market gets the bounty. They're talking about, the article seemed a little dated, but they were talking about Barack Obama and Ben Bernanke. He's the head of the Federal Reserve, not a very popular person, especially not in the Bitcoin community, or really anywhere. But, so that was the idea. Now, here's the thing. Um, Definitely you can use the internet to facilitate assassinations. That's completely believable. People use Craigslist to find hitmen for crying out loud. The thing is, is that when you're a hitman, that is your business. And when you take a big target like that, you pretty much know that you are going to be out of business for the rest of your life. You kill a high-profile target, you will be on the run for the rest of your life. 
The higher the profile target, the quicker they are going to find you, or the more resources at least they're going to put into looking for you. Assassination Market, their rule is, we only allow targets that have committed bodily harm against other humans. And they have an overall goal. Their goal is to strike fear into the heart of politicians, not the people, into politicians, so people stop wanting to be politicians, and it'll create this anarchist utopia. I'm not a huge fan of anarchism. I've lived in bad neighborhoods. Most people I know who are anarchists are either college-educated people or criminals. I've met maybe one or two who are like a kind of a socialist anarchist, which is kind of weird to like just provide us with money and then leave us alone in every other aspect of our lives. But for the most part, it's a, a criminal outlier and then it's college educated people. I'm not talking down about both of those people. I'm just saying that that's the problem. I, I have a friend who's actually very like down on society in general. And my argument has always been if society collapsed, if the government completely collapsed and we moved to anarchy, you may live in your shack in the wilderness on a mesa in New Mexico, but the gangs from L.A. will eventually spill out. And they are not trying to live in this utopic world. Is that a word, utopic? Maybe I just made it up. Maybe it's real. But you know what I mean? Like, you can have that fall of the government. And, and you know, preppers are kind of, like, in between. They, they want to live on the ranch and raise their cows, but they're completely prepared to blow people's brains out as well. But the idea of if the government fell then it would be a utopia that I would, if the government fell four days and I'm a scavenger, I'm a raider. I, let's just, let's just, you know, call it what it is. Like after a couple days when I'm like, there's no cops around, dude, I mean, like I'm not Negan or anything, but I'm also, I mean, like, yeah, that's not good. You know, the, <laughs> There needs to be some checks and balances for for certain people. But yeah, it's... So anyways, but that aside, the utopian idea aside, again, taking on a big target like that is hard. You can have internet assassinations against smaller people, like really anyone outside of politics or the law enforcement, judges, stuff like that. You, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. But if you wanted to, like, take care of your postman and stuff like that, you could probably find somebody on Tor. You know, the thing that people, a lot of people don't know about Tor, it was invented by the government. They've kind of lost control of the beast to a certain point. But they can still track you coming in and out of out of the dark web. They can't really see what you do in the meantime. But if they notice someone keeps going in and out, and it's it's a crapshoot. It's not like they'll always know that you're going in and out. But you may get they may be putting a sting on somebody else, and then they see you, Johnny. No luck. Go into the dark web and come out, and now you're on their radar. But they they don't really know what you're doing on there. But it's not it's secure in that sense. But again, it's not completely foolproof. They did invent it. It was invented as a covert tool you could be a cia operative in istanbul and you have it on you have the tor browser in your flash drive you go to an internet cafe you plug it in you access tor it's untraceable to anyone standing around you it's untraceable by most governments and then you pull it out and you leave and you've communicated all the information and stuff like that that's what it was built for and then it basically became open i've always been surprised i've talked about this before maybe i didn't maybe i edited it out but i think it's weird that people in 2018, still meet young girls online. And I think it's even more baffling that people hire hitmen online. I saw this news report. This woman 
was trying to find a hitman. I don't know if that's the right word, but a kidnap man to kidnap her husband and then sell him into sexual slavery in the Middle East. Terrifying. That would be the I hitman. No, no, bad hitman. Like, why don't you just shoot me at the Olive Garden? Don't no. Don't put me in a box and send me to the Middle East to be raped forever. That's horrible. Now, luckily, the person who she was talking to, the kidnapped man, was a cop and she was arrested. But that's all. You can go on YouTube and see tons of videos of people talking to undercover hitmen. Why are people still doing this? I just don't get it. Like, I get at a certain point being so desperate you want the situation to end. And, but going on the internet to find a hitman, sometimes they'll go, I've read stories where people will go to bars to find hitmen. Like, who do they think hitmen are that they just hang out? Listen, dude, if you're a mafia don, you have one on the payroll, or you know one, and it's just a professional thing and you go take care of it. Or if you're like a member of a cartel or something like that, or even a street gang would have, you know, a gunman, you know, like someone who just like handles the wet works and stuff like that. But if you're a suburban housewife, SOL, dude, you're not going to be able to find a legit hitman. And I'll say this, whether or not you find the hitman online or in real life, if I'm the hitman, I'm taking you out too, for one reason. I know how to kill people and to live with it, but Sally Housewife doesn't. And eight years later, I know she's going to be at her daughter's birthday party and she's going to start regretting that she took part in the taking of another human's life. It's just human nature. So I'm going to take your money and I'm going to take you out too. If anything, these people are lucky. These average citizens, these upstanding people are lucky they're getting arrested because it could turn out a lot worse. But yeah, so I mean, they're out there. It's funny, you may think that, you know, oh, you know, it, it's it, it's one of those things, internet assassinations, it, it's on the conspiracy iceberg. And it's one I looked at and go, well, yeah, of course. I think the reason why it's on the conspiracy iceberg, because most of them or this new one, Assassination Market, new, but, you know, it's an older article. But I think the fact that they're targeting like high ranking people is why it's on there. But again, like if somebody came to me and was like, Jason, Jason, guess what? I'm like, yeah, what? There's assassins who work on the Internet. I'd be like, OK, yeah. What else do you want? I mean, like, like that's obvious. It's actually the perfect place for assassins to meet people. Legit assassins meeting legit customers, not your local minister who's like, oh, I really hate the deacon, so I'm going to, yeah. Don't, if, if things are that dire with you and you feel like you have to hire an internet hitman, it's just, I mean, guys, if you've come to that point in your life where you're, you know, trolling the internet for a hitman or going to bars looking for a hitman, you got to re- reevaluate stuff because trust me, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well at all. Don't do it. I'm sure you guys knew that already. A lot of time these internet assassination websites get taken down because again, Tor's not in- invulnerable to this stuff. Look at Silk Road. Oh, speaking of that, let me say this real quick. There is a another podcast called Case Files. They have a three-part episode on Silk Road it's the best nonfiction podcast I have ever heard. Those three episodes, at least. I was getting anxiety attacks listening to them. It is the story of the Silk Road. It is the website that allowed people to buy drugs anonymously. And then eventually they tried selling guns. And it talks about, it's the story of the Dread Pirate Roberts. If you That is an amazing podcast. I recommend it wholeheartedly. Like I said, my heart was pounding towards the end. Great story. I highly recommend it. 
I, I can't say enough about it. Hey ghouls and guys, do you like to get spooky and stay spooky? Then check out our podcast, The Golden Ghouls. Each week, we talk about our favorite things, ghosts and the paranormal. Sound like a good time? Then give us a listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Goodbye. We're going to go ahead and move on to our next story, a story I'm very excited to talk about because I love the Transformers movies. Now, that sound I just heard was a thousand people clicking off this podcast, but... So here's the thing. Transformers 5 was terrible. It was the worst movie I've ever seen in the theater. I've walked out of movies better than Transformers 5. Total garbage. Transformers 2 was really bad, but it was made during the writer's strike. They kind of made it as they went along. The ending action scene is great. It had Soundwave, it had Ravage, all this cool stuff in it. Transformers 4 was just boring. It wasn't offensively bad, but it was just nothing happened. Transformers 1 is actually a good movie not like a good movie in the sense like i don't know schindler's list or something but it's very well done and the beginning of transformers one where the helicopter lands in the military base and the army soldiers surrounded and then it transforms i've watched that clip that army base clip so many times on youtube i love that scene and i remember sitting in the theater and going this is what I want out of a Transformers movie. I want to see humans and Autobots side by side fighting the Decepticons. I don't, never was interested in just robots punching each other. I like the army stuff. Transformers 3. Transformers 3 Dark of the Moon is not only the best movie of the series. It's not only, honestly, in my top 10 favorite films. But Transformers 3 is the best alien invasion movie since at least the last 20 years hands down i will argue that any day it is it has elements and it's great it's weird it has the illuminati in it it has the nasa cover-ups in it it has one of the best alien invasion scenes and the last hour of the movie is them fighting block by block through Chicago. And it does an interesting thing in that movie where the action is linear. So you will follow one character and then they'll cut to another scene. And when we rejoin that first character, they will be in a different location fighting a different enemy. So it's not like this cut and everything's happening at the same time when you're watching Bumblebee. And then they cut to Optimus Prime and you go back to Bumblebee later. He has progressed in his mission. It's very rare in action movies when you think about it. You'll see a guy shooting here and then you'll cut to another guy shooting or punching some guy. You cut back and the first guy's still shooting in the same location he was before. Transformers 3 plays out like a war. Characters are moving throughout the battlefield. It's expertly done. But there's a 490-page essay called... I actually kind of appreciate the Transformers. And it gave me a whole new look on the movies. And this is the theory that this author puts forward. This was written by Terry Van Felliday, I think it is. I'll have the link below. I recommend you reading it. If you're a fan of Transformers or not, if you're a fan of film theory, it's mind-blowing. What the theory he puts forward is that Optimus Prime is the bad guy unapologetically the bad guy and this is important because the movies are put forward that optimus prime is america the whole movies the humans are draped in the american flag michael bay is known for his visual imagery they use real military personnel to make the movies a lot of times the minor roles are played by active duty military optimus prime 
is a raging psychopath and a murderer on a global scale in these movies. And what's interesting is that he is positioned as the good guy. We knew him as a good guy from the cartoon, from the comic books, from the toys, all that stuff. In the movies, this is the this is basically the plot of each movie. Megatron wants to get something to save his race, and Optimus Prime blows it up. The first movie was the AllSpark. It has the souls of every Transformer ever yet to be born. It's like the guff. It's their tree of life. Optimus Prime first throws it into a wormhole, which is how it gets to Earth. And then he pushes it into Megatron's chest, destroying both the Spark and the AllSpark and Megatron. Second movie, because they don't have the AllSpark, they have to have this machine that destroys our sun to again revitalize their species. In the second movie, the bad guy is in a Decepticon baby infirmary, and they're watching these babies die, and it's very clear that's what's going on. For the future for the future of the race of the Transformers, they need this Energon. What does Optimus Prime do? He blows it up. Oh, it should be said, too. And this is what the paper goes into all of this as well. There was a civil war on the planet of Cybertron, the Transformers' home planet. The Decepticons won. It was never this, the war waged for a million years and no one side. No, the Decepticons killed everyone who, dis, who wasn't on their side. And the Autobots are like 20 people. Now, here's the thing. At a certain point, you go from being the resistance to being terrorists. When there's only 20 of you left and everyone else on the planet is on board, you're ISIS. You're Al-Qaeda. You're the bad guy because everyone else is on board. But so Megatron wants to create more Transformers and Optimus Prime is constantly stopping him from continuing the race. In Transformers 3... Since Megatron's like, well, listen, we don't have the AllSpark, and we don't have this machine that can make Energon out of the sun. The only other plan is Plan Z that we planned for, and just in case Optimus Prime went nuts, we're going to bring Cybertron to Earth and enslave the humans to rebuild our planet. Optimus Prime destroys Cybertron. Just blows it up. It's like coming halfway through a wormhole, and Optimus Prime blows it up so it's half in a wormhole, half not. They just show the lights going out on the planet. He then executes... Two Transformers, Sentinel Prime and Megatron, as they beg for their lives, shoots them in the head, blows their brains out. In the novelization for Dark of the Moon, Megatron says, please don't kill me, Optimus, and Optimus Prime goes, okay, and Megatron leaves, not to get revenge, but to rebuild Cybertron. Transformers 4, there's this thing, of course, to make more Transformers. Megatron wants it, Optimus Prime, I believe, blows it up, but he doesn't, Megatron doesn't get away with it. And in the fifth one, surprise, surprise, Cybertron comes back to Earth and Optimus Prime not only blows it up, but kills the Transformers god that's living in the center of Cybertron. So he has decimated their race. And that's what's interesting about this essay. The essay goes up to Transformers 3. And so when I went to go see the next two, I thought, is Optimus Prime still going to? Yep. Yep, Optimus Prime is still actively destroying his entire race. He's so cold-blooded. Optimus Prime, childhood hero, personal child hero of mine. I always looked up to Optimus Prime. He's so cold-blooded, he shoots Kelsey Grammer with a laser cannon that was built to punch holes through starships. He's like a low-level government employee who's punching Shia LaBeouf. And Optimus Prime just obliterates him. This cannon he's used to blow off Megatron's head multiple times. This thing that was built to basically wage interstellar war. He shoots a government flunky with it. He's insane in these movies. 
And what's interesting is I don't think Michael Bay's an idiot. You can say what you want about his filmmaking. I actually think he's, I think he's not like the best filmmaker, but I think he's great at what he does, which is action movies, but he's not an idiot. And it says something that his movies are so pro-American and we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, the bad guys are named the Decepticons, you know, and... This is just like, there's black and white. Optimus Prime's always giving these speeches almost to the camera about how life and freedom and humans and personal responsibility and all this stuff. And then when you step back out of the realm of, you know, watching the cartoon and knowing this guy is a hero based on other forms of media, he comes across as a total lunatic who then like executes people, full bore executes helpless people multiple times. And then he turns to the camera and he goes, freedom is the right of all beings. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And I think the, the, the shame is, is a lot of people, I think the reason because these films are considered just for kids and things like that, that film theorists and people who analyze film, film critics and just in general, just dismiss them. And I think they are really rich. They have these weird themes. This particularly, I've seen Transformers 3, I don't know how many times. And I will watch just clips of it online. I was just watching clips of it online last night. That movie, I love that movie, but I never thought of it critically in that way until I read this essay. And it totally rings true. Optimus Prime is nothing more than a terrorist who kills his own people time and time again and makes sure that there can never be any more Transformers. He destroyed all their souls. And he's there's never a reason why, just that the Megatron's evil. And I, I, I do think Michael Bay is smart enough to make that message that America does all these crazy things that are so like morally ambiguous. And they may say, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. But then they just drop bombs everywhere. It, I, I think that it really is supposed to be more subversive than people have caught on, like Starship Troopers. I think as more time passes, people may get a closer look at Transformers and see it as that. But this essay definitely does that. And I really wish more people would look at Transformers with a critical eye rather than being like, oh, you can't tell the Transformers apart. Michael Bay's a hack. It's all a bunch of shots of women looking up their skirts and blah, blah, blah. And, it's really dismissive. There's more there. I've read a dozen thought pieces on Infinity War, you know, in which I really enjoyed that movie as well. I personally think Transformers 3 is better than Infinity War, honestly, just pound for pound. But if you haven't watched those movies, I recommend I recommend 1 and 3. And I definitely recommend reading the essay because I haven't even scraped the surface. There's all sorts of other elements and, and proof that Trans Optimus Prime is really the bad guy of those movies it's fascinating and again if optimus prime is the bad guy of those movies and optimus prime is draped in the american flag what is michael bay really saying about the american culture fascinating stuff fascinating deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address you can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio our twitter account is at jason o carpenter Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.